This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. And this week, I could not be more excited to introduce you to my friend, Vincent Pugalisi. So Vincent has just been an absolutely amazing friend. He has given me amazing guidance. He has introduced me to fantastic people. And he just lives exactly what he teaches. And the the path that he's gone through, I know this is going to be one that's inspirational for you. So Vincent is a coach. He has a daily podcast. And he's an author of two different books. So first one was Freelance to Freedom and get that one. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, well, get both. But uh, And then the second one is The Wealth of Connection. And uh, I love, Vincent, you'd put on here non-bestselling author. <laughs> right. Well, the way I figured it was everybody's a best-selling author. Everything is become a bestseller, you know, sell a, sell a certain amount of books in a certain amount of time and get the label. And I'm like, I don't want to do any of it. If, it. if it legitimately becomes New York Times bestseller because of actual book sales will change that. But until then, I was like, it's it's such a joke. And I'm like, you know, my greatest fear in life is being inauthentic. And when I thought of doing that, I was like, I think that's just absolutely hysterical to put on there because nobody's ever going to do that. Maybe they will now, but nobody's ever going to say non-bestselling author. And honestly, I'm getting people saying like their friends have bought it because of that, which is Are pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really wow. interesting. Yeah. I saw that and I was just like, that is not something you normally would put on there. It's like people will try and shrink away from it or, you know, um, lift it up in some way. But this to me just relates back to like your humility and approachability is saying non best selling. Well, because if, if you, if you think about it, how many best selling authors can there possibly be? It, like, how many, I mean, if you really think about it, like, if you can make awards for every category in every different way, and and there's four people in this one, and everybody gets to take their turn being the best-selling author for that week, like what is it? Re- and I'm not disparaging it for the people that do it. I'm not. It's for me. It's like what does it really mean? It's like the Stanley Cup just ended as we're recording this. There's one Stanley Cup, right? Yeah. If everybody got their own Stanley Cup and whatever thing, like Colorado gets its own Stanley Cup. Well, there's one team, New York. You know, what is, does it really matter? So I'm like, all that stuff, I don't, I try to pay attention to. I think it's, I think it's a lot of vanity. I think it's a lot of, hey, I want to do this to sell stuff. And fine, everybody has their own thing. But for me, I thought of non best selling author before I even knew the title of the book. I knew that was going on there before I even knew the book was going to be called The Wealth of Connection. Cause it's just true. It's just, I mean, it's it, to become, say, New York Times bestseller legitimately is a huge, accomplishment it's scary how hard it is to get there people pay most pay to even get there that's not me i'm not there and i'm not going to pretend to be so it was kind of fun and and kind of liberated just to put that on there i love it because it's so unexpected (laughs) um well let's let's jump over to like where are you at today 
on the business side? I know we've we've just released this non-best-selling author, yeah. you know, The Wealth of Connection. Yep. What else is going on? It's a fun time right now. I'll be honest with you. It is, um, you know, what I am not the most planned out person. I'm an ADHD entrepreneur, like so many people where everything I was excited about a week ago, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do it this week. Like, you know, it's the thing that's going to go on forever. Then I'm kind of like, I want to do this thing. And so many people can kind of relate to that. But one thing we did plan out was our life, which was, hey, what kind of life do we want to live? right? Regardless of the business, the businesses change sometimes. Everything I do when I do it, I'm passionate about it. So I know if you're a client of mine or if I'm doing something in that period, I'm going to give you everything I got, right? Um, But it changes. You know, I was a photographer for 22 years. I don't regret not doing that anymore. That was a season of my life. But what we did know is there were three things we wanted. We wanted freedom. We wanted time freedom. We wanted financial freedom. That does not mean being ridiculously wealthy. It means financial freedom. And it's a big difference. And eventually we wanted location freedom. These were, you know, 11, actually a little more than that, 15 years ago, that's what we set out for when we were broke and struggling in a job and not knowing what was going to happen. Those were the dreams. And I knew if we had time, money, location, freedom, any work that I do could be really authentic and it could be really for me and it could be non-salesy and it could be just for the right people that want it and not me having to coerce and do all the businessy salesy things that so many people have to do. So that was the goal. So one step at a time, it was kind of like, well, what we didn't realize was time was the most important one of the three. And I, you know, like a lot of people think, Oh, I want financial freedom. or I want time when we had time and we had went through a couple of years of really hard work and paying down debt and having babies at that point, and then building it out where literally went from a job that I'm working full time and then shooting weddings on the side 39 in a year where 2007 for us was the year of work. That's what we labeled it. But when we came out of that and we had paid off our house and we had paid off our debt and I quit my job and our business now was making more money than our job was combined, our two incomes by far. I literally woke up one day from quitting the job to freedom. It really went, it was three years of pain to literally, we quit. I woke up the next day and I go, there's nothing on the schedule today. There's nothing on the schedule tomorrow. We have a wedding next Saturday. And this time in between, I could do whatever I want. And that's scary if you don't control it well. But if you control it well, it's the greatest thing in the world. We had a three-year-old and a one-year-old at that time. Dylan wasn't even born yet. And as time went on for those couple of years, wanted to go to the park. Let's go to the park. You want to go here? And I remember constantly, like, not even knowing what day it was. And it was such an amazing way to raise our children because we got to spend that time together. And that we all know as parents how quickly that time goes. And we see those pictures of them when they're babies, like, what happened? It's it's gone, right? And I love those times and I love these times. So that's a little bit, we can go deeper into that, but that's a little where we came from. But building on the whole time, money, location, freedom, um, about five years ago, you know, we were shooting weddings, we were shooting commercial, I did professional sports. It was a pretty cool career, but I was done. And I don't know if anybody's ever been at that crossroads. I've had probably about five crossroads in my career where I'm doing something, maybe it's going well, maybe it's not, but I know I need to get to a different spot, but it's too comfortable, right? Often you have a job and it's too comfortable to leave. I've got this coaching business I want to start, or I've got this product I want to do, but it's not making the money. This thing's making the money. 
how do I get from here to there? And I call, and so often I call that the bridge. Whereas, and I would explain this, and this is the way I coach it now is you, when you have the job that you're at, that's paying the bills, you're on the mainland, right? And we live here in Tampa. So we see this light at the mainland and you got the Island over there and, and the bridge that goes there. And so often when you're on the mainland, everybody's dreaming about the Island. And that's, that's the golden, you know, that's, but you don't just get to the Island unless you've got a boat to get you there. It's a bridge that gets you there. Right. So there's a bridge that connects the mainland. So that's what I kind of realized. Oh, I need to build. I don't need the island yet. I need to build a bridge to get to the island. So I've become really good at building that bridge or even helping other people build the bridge. And that's where the career started, this side of it, because we're doing, you know, I was working in a newspaper. Well, I wanted freedom. Well, as newspaper photographers, we were like, well, we don't want to do weddings. Weddings are, you know, we're beneath, that's beneath us. We're, we're journalists, right? No, but well, weddings will pay more in a day than you get paid in a month. Sometimes it's a pretty good bridge if you can build it. So we set out to build that bridge and then we did, and that wound up getting us financially, but there's these constant bridges. So about five years ago, as the photography thing was doing really well, but I was just completely empty from it, dissatisfied, unmotivated, um, literally going through the motions of it. I mean, I, I did a wedding one time because I was going through adrenal fatigue where I showed up at the groom's house for the getting ready pictures. I don't really remember much of the day because I was tired and I was going through. And I remember driving home that night thinking, oh, crap, this is going to be our first real complaint. Like they're going to complain because I don't remember any. Usually I come home from weddings and I'll be thinking about all the great pictures I took and th- did this work. I didn't remember any of it. So I was worried for two weeks. Elizabeth edited it, sent it to the bride and groom, and she emails back and she goes, this is amazing. You got everything thrilled. And I remember in that moment, a lot of people might be like, this is beautiful. I can just coast through this, right? I can even, I can sleepwalk through it. It works fine. And I said to Elizabeth, I said, I'm done. I said, if I can sleepwalk through it, not really care, not have any emotion and still do the job, it's not challenging in the way that I want it to be. And, and right around the same time I had photographed a wedding and I was coaching the DJ at the wedding during we're, so we're eating dinner right? And they're serving dinner in this little room and it's in between the ceremony and the reception. Mm-hmm. And I'm coaching him on his business because he's a really great DJ, but he's suffering with his business. And it was then that I realized artists are really great at their art, but they're terrible at business. So you'll see this a lot in photography or a lot of creative type of businesses. They, they're amazing at their craft, but they're but they don't understand business. They don't understand money. They don't understand budgeting. They don't understand hiring, none of that stuff. So I started coaching him on this for like 45 minutes while we're eating dinner. And he's like writing all this down. And he's just like, wow, this is, and then we had to go shoot the wedding. And it was, that was the moment. That was the last moment where I saw him walk out there. And I said, I don't want to go out there. I don't want to go photograph this reception. I want to talk to him more. And I went home, I talked to Elizabeth and I said, I'm done. And she's like, for real? I said, yeah. And this is a six figure business, right? That only really requires 30 or 40 days out of the year outside of post-processing. And she's like, I said, what are you going to do? I said, and this was the crossroads. I said, what I did with that DJ, I want to do that. Is there a way that I can do that? Is there a way that I can have conversations with people for a living? And I remember saying that out loud. Can I make a living having conversations? And that completely shifted my mindset. And I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if it's possible. That led me into the world of coaching and then into writing and then into 
joining a mastermind and then in terms of leading a group within that mastermind and then starting my own and then starting my own community and then starting. That's how it all built out to here to where now we have an amazing community that we're thrilled to have you a part of and just great people that we get to lead and then we get to have other people lead on there. And it builds the time freedom. It builds all the stuff while helping people on a, on a grander scale, giving me time to write books, giving me time to coach, but also giving me time. What's really important as well is time with our family and raising our kids. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. And man, just the freedom that it's not just like you're looking for. I just want to sit and veg in front of the TV kind of free mm-hmm. time. Yeah. You're still being intentional with that time. It's not like, you know, I'm just, I'm wasting it. You're being intentional in I'm redirecting it so that I'm in, in investing it into my family and other stuff. Um, let's, let's also talk about like, where are you today with your family? So I, I mean, you talked about having little ones when, you know, the, you yeah. first started on that bridge, pet, you know, direction, yep. where are you at today with your family? Well, our kids, so we have three boys and Elizabeth, and I've been married 20 years as of last month. Um, and we have three, so they're 16, 14 and 11 now. And we homeschool, which is, you know, it's a greater challenge in terms of the business side of it, because even like today, it's just like in between doing everything, we have everything going on with the kids and back and forth. And I don't have eight hour work days. I don't even know what that's like. I, I don't even know how people like when I have a day like that, like, oh my goodness, why is everybody not a billionaire? If you have this much time to work, I don't have that much time. I, but what it's allowed me to do is be, be really efficient with my time, mm-hmm. know what matters and what doesn't and be able to eliminate the things that don't matter as opposed to just filling it in. So it's, it's really good with the family. Obviously, the challenges that you have with teenagers, right? And you're dealing with it. And so it's not, none of this is all rainbows and unicorns. There's some big challenge, especially in terms of the homeschool side. Um, but we moved to Bradenton, Florida about a year ago, which we absolutely love. Sunshine and being outside and moving. And really just intentionally raising our kids to become great adults, as, Andrew, as Andy Andrews would say. It's like, it's not about raising good children. It's about raising great adults. And... So even if the business never grew, even if we never made any more money than we make now, if we can raise these kids the way that it's going and put them out in the world that way, it's going to be our greatest success. So I don't get all caught up in the numbers and the hugeness and the influence. I don't get caught up in that. I don't care. What is your intention for doing this? You know, time, money, location, freedom, raising our family the way that we want. The, the business in terms of helping the clients that we have, but in terms of my own personal goals and success, that really kind of goes down the list. And it's weird saying that out loud because it used to be the opposite. It used to be all about what I wanted to accomplish. And that just becomes less and less important, I guess, as time goes on. Well, and so as you started, you know, like you talked about the year of work and I mean, you mm-hmm. guys were busting it. You talk about mm-hmm. that, um, inside of your first book. I mean, I was like, yep, they're definitely <laughs> after really? the grindstone, yeah. man. You guys were were just going so many different directions and working your tail off. Yeah. Um so when you were at that stage and you're looking, hey, I want these type of freedoms mm-hmm. and this is what it looks like, you know, for my family and everything. Was it did it change as you went along? So as you start experiencing things, yep. did it remain the same or did it kind of morph and go, wow, this, this is available and, and I oh, want yeah. that. 
Oh yeah. It always changed. You never know what it's going to be when you're sitting in the moment right now. Like as you're building this out and you're seeing what it can be, you don't even know what options are going to come up in, in five years when you have it. And then you see expanded worlds and you go, man, okay. I didn't, I didn't even have the time to do that. Like, for instance, I get invited now, like, cause the connections keep building out, you know, Shane Sands, a friend of mine who runs a great podcast. He's a speaker and he's going to be in Orlando a month from now. And he's like, Hey, you want to come to one of the events? And I'm like, sure. I'll copy a ticket. Two people did that for, for gigs the same week for next week. And I'm like, sure. So I'm going to Orlando twice within a week and a half to meet friends who were you know, successful in their business. I'm going to meet a whole bunch of people. But if my schedule was packed and I needed it for the money in that moment, I couldn't go. No, I got I to stay home and work. You know how many people miss out on the opportunities because of that? Because they haven't built the freedom. I have the, that's the most important thing about the time freedom. Whenever anything cool comes available, I can move things around to go do it. And that's where the opportunities open up. So just the option, that's the whole thing. I think that's the word that didn't get in there in the beginning is options. Mm. I don't care about the wealth as, as some people might, you know, to a certain point you do. Like we're so fortunate. I'm looking out on a pool and a lake behind us. To a certain point, it mattered. Beyond this, I don't really care. What I care about is what are the options that I have to do? You know, I'm 50 years old now. Do I want to enjoy my work? I want to love what I'm doing, but I also don't want to have to kill myself for it. Right. Like before we talked, I had two and a half hours and I did just lounge on the couch and just close my eyes, relax, because I wanted to prepare myself. I'm not going full speed. So when I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. And I think learning, there's a million more lessons you learn, but you learn them along the way in terms of what's important, what's not, how are we going to work this? What do we want to do? What don't we want to do? Who do we want to work with? Who don't we want to work with? You have more of those options when you have the freedom. You can literally fire clients that are pains because you're a pain and you bring me a lot of drama. I don't want to do it. In the past, I needed the money, right? Mm -hmm. You can do that. So Though that's what I love. And I'll hopefully love that till I'm 90 because I'm going to keep doing work because I love producing and helping people. That's, that's why you do it. Yeah. Now, as, as you were starting out, how did you and Elizabeth continue to persevere? Because it, it wasn't like everybody saw, you know, like the, the path that you were on no. as being like the solution. They're kind of like going, are you crazy? Like you're working Family. hard, you're making sacrifices. <laughs> Are yep. you sure this is this is the path you want to go? How did you guys persevere through that? It's a great question because we had family that questioned it. I think a lot of people listening might be the same thing. They don't believe that you have what it takes to do it. And because they didn't do it, they think you can't do it, right? We had a family member because, you know, somebody in the family tried a business and failed assume that we we would fail as well and set it to us and then set it behind our back and I heard it. And that was, that was for me, it was motivation. I remember hearing that and thinking, I'm not sure what I'm doing right now, but I can guarantee you right now I will not fail. I remember saying that in the living room, I will not fail because if I fail, I've proved her right. So there's no chance. And I thank her for that. And she doesn't even know I heard it because, you know, those late nights of working, that extra effort was because of that. I couldn't allow that to happen. So I think everybody kind of needs a motivator like that. So together, I think what you asked about Elizabeth and I, I think the greatest thing that 
we had with this was the idea that we didn't need much. And I think that was the savior to us because when I worked at the newspaper, when we worked at the newspaper, I was making $32,000 a year. She was making $30,000 a year, right? And then she left her job and then we wound up co-sharing a job. We job shared. And so then we went from 30, we went from 62 grand to 32 grand. And when we started on the business, the idea was this, and I came up with this, which was, here's what we're going to do. We're going to live off of my salary and we are going to build this business and every dime of profit that comes from this business, we're going to pay down our debt. We're not going to go on vacation. We're not going to upgrade the house. We're going to get out of debt. And when that debt is gone, the business will have risen because it will have to, to pay the, to pay that money, the business has to go up. So what happened was as the debt came down and the income from the business went up and we lived off of the salary, after year one, you start seeing some progress. After year two, you start getting some momentum. By year three, it was almost done. So now the business is growing, but without stress because it's just paying the debt. And then the debt's going down. Then eventually you make a big payment. Debt's all gone. Income's up here. And then we're free. That's how it happened. So, But we also knew it's going to take a couple of years of pain. So like I said, even in the book was like, would you trade a year of, I can't remember what the wording was, but would you trade a year of just intense work for a lifetime of freedom? And I think a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Sometimes it's like, well, it's not going to work. If you put it in a year or two relentless to get the rest of your life for freedom, it's worth it. And that was 2008 and it's 2022 now and 14 years. So we've had 14 years of freedom. That's a pretty good return in my book. Well, and that's just to this point. It's not like point. you're like, hey, I'm done and I'm not going to have any more freedom. I mean, you still have, no. you know, you still have your future ahead of you. So that's it's exponential. And every year makes the next year better. And as long as you're not desperate and you're doing all the things that are going to make three years from now better. Well, year 17 is going to be even better than I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Things can go wrong. But we, we've always been relatively conservative to where money was not going to set us back. We weren't going to go cra- like the whole crypto thing. We didn't get involved with it. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I had friends that were crushing it a year ago, NFTs, crypto. And I sat back and I was like, I could do it. We got the money. I don't understand. I truly don't get it. And we didn't do it. And now it's kind of turned around and I'm sitting here thinking, thank goodness. Cause now we're looking at getting some property over by the water here. And like, we would never would have done that. And that's going to be a rental. And then we build off. So in my opinion, five years from now could be multiple beachfront rentals that now could be its own thing. So it's like you, I, Warren Buffett said something that was really profound to me one time, which was never trade something you need for something you don't need. And we've lived by that. We're not trading our freedom or our time for something we don't need for a short-term gamble that might hit because if it doesn't hit, now we're back to square one. So those are just some of the ways that we went about it. Yeah. And it's one of those that it seems like there's multiple things that will pull at your attention, mm-hmm. but just because you can't jump in on something now, almost having that that fear of missing out, right? That FOMO yep. um, doesn't mean that you won't be able to make it in a different plan. It just means that's one way of getting there. Yep. And I mean, would you agree that it's like there's multiple bridges to get to that island? Without a doubt. And I have no problem saying not yet. I think a lot of times people are like, no, you know, I don't want to miss out. 
there's always an opportunity. There's always, and I've learned that, you know, we've said no to a lot of things that just weren't right. And it would have been good. Um, but no, is it, but is it on the path that you want? If you could have a clear vision for what you want, you can turn down the stuff on the side that really doesn't make sense. And, and just to have the pay, like I had a really great example taught to me. Yeah. And I talked about this in freelance to freedom where I was looking to become a photographer for the Associated Press in New York. And, you know, that was the big time. That was every assignment, the big assignment, you know, world leaders, you know, all this cool stuff, but I couldn't get in. And I called and I had a, I had a connection and, and, and uh, Jonathan Elmer was the editor and he set up a time for us to meet and then he canceled. And then we called again, set up another time to meet and he canceled again. It's happened six times. And then finally on the seventh time, I made it to the office, Rockefeller Center, New York City, right in the middle of it. And he said something that really changed my perspective on this, which was, Hey, he said, Vincent, I want to thank you for your patience and your persistence. He said, without both of those, we wouldn't be here right now. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that as he was going through my portfolio. I'm like, oh, he's absolutely right. Patience. I had patience because I didn't quit when he turned me down the first two times. I kept going. But I also had persistence. I called every week. So there was a combination. And that really sets the tone for whatever we try to do. Patience and persistence. So you're going to keep working. You got to have patience because it's not always going to work out. The big thing that is going to explode, you might miss it. But if you keep going, the things that you need will will take shape. And if you don't need much, which has always been our thing, we've never been set back by that. It makes life so much easier. So how do you balance patience and persistence when some people will say like, you know, you just need to kind of back out when things don't happen after a few times? Just let it go, move on. I mean, how are you looking at it and going, no, I'm going to continue with this to, you know, to see it through and make it happen. And, uh, you know, not, not just be like, sorry, didn't happen to first two, three times. Well, I, I don't think quitting is what it's made out to be. Sometimes I quit, I quit a lot, but I don't quit and go back to the beginning. I quit and pivot to kind of a couple of steps up in a different way. For instance, even with the podcast, I've been doing it daily for a year and I just paused it. And I just paused it and I said, I'm going to shut up for a while. I've been talking for three years and I'm going to pause for a little while and we might be rebranding this towards the wealth of connection because I want to have more conversations. That's a more of a solo show. Is that quitting? No. To me, that's doing something, learning from it, making connections. I mean, the book came about because of stories from the podcast. So there was so much value there. Does it mean I need to do that forever? No. If, if, I, if you constantly reassess and you say, no, this isn't really working for me right now, I'm going to kind of pivot ahead and go in this direction. You don't start from the beginning anymore. You start with new connections. You start with new ideas. You start with new knowledge that the next thing you do is kind of just a constant step up, even if it's not the same exact thing. So I never worry about that type of stuff. It's like, I'm, as long as I'm persistent with, with moving forward and growing, opportunities come up. So everybody, people thought I was crazy when I stopped doing it. Like, okay, now you're, you're at a quarter, three quarters of a million downloads. You're about to hit it. Like, this is the point where it blows up. And I'm like, that's not what I'm concerned about. Do I enjoy the work that I'm doing? Can I do that again? Sure. And I think confidence comes in of like, when you have success, like I can do that again. I could do it in different ways. And to be able to say, okay, we, we made it in photography. We made it in an online course. We made it in a book. 
And it all came from the same methodology, which was patience and persistence. And you keep going and the momentum from it. Um, and you learn that. So when we start the next thing, you have all this knowledge and wisdom from the past that you didn't have when you started your first thing. So you go, hey, just put these things in place again. And it, and, and if you give yourself three years, like because the first year is always the hardest in anything that you do. But understand, it's like taking all, it's like an airplane. It takes a long time when you go to that airport to load up that plane, to fuel it up, to get the luggage, to get the food. It takes a lot of time to, to get that airplane to take off. But when it does and it's flying across the country, requires very little effort. And we've seen that time and time and again with business, the first year or two are, is so much work. And by year five, you're like, I barely spend any time on it. And it makes more money than we did, way more money than the beginning. But I don't work as much. That's that momentum. So how do you coach people through giving themselves permission to almost, you talked about, um, you know, like being locked into a job, you know, like golden handcuffs, I think would be Mm -hmm. the term. Yeah. When you do have golden handcuffs, how do you give yourself permission to pivot to say like, hey, I do want to go pursue this and, you know, go that different direction to make that pivot? Yeah. I So often it comes back to the same scenario. You, are you willing to endure the pain for a year or two that it's going to take? Mm. And I just think a lot of people are not because it's too comfortable in the job. It's just enough to get by. It's not what they want, but do they really want to do the extra? I mean, I'm not telling you to quit your job. You might have a spouse and kids and, you know, there's very few people. There are a few, but there's very few people that can quit on the dime and go make it work with the stress of now having to pay bills from that side thing. That's a challenging, challenging thing. But if you say, I'm going to put in 10 hours a week, 15 hours a week on the side, and I'm going to work late for a couple of years or work early for a couple of years, or just be a little more efficient with my time. Because quite honestly, we waste a lot of time as Americans. We just do. Take that. We stopped watching television. Built a website when the time we would have watched television. Well, that was progress, right? Made sales calls, had conversations. So I think... The whole idea is, are you willing to accept the pain that's going to come with that year or two and put the effort in there to where when you do start making the money and you start using it the right way, wow, all of a sudden the salary doesn't seem so insurmountable when this thing is here. And then you go, wait a second. And this is a a thing that I've coached on often. Wait a second. You can make half of your salary on nights and weekends on the side. Now, if you did quit your job, you're telling me Monday through Friday, nine to five, you can't make up that other half when you could do it that way. And that's when it clicks like, oh crap, like I did get proof of concept during this time. And just imagine when you can do that and you could be more efficient with it and you save more time and you hire out, that's when freedom starts coming. Oh, you physically can work three days a week while you have this other stuff going on, make twice as much money or just as what you have and you have the life that you want because it really comes down to what kind of life do you want. So I think that path has been pretty tried and true to go down. It's just, are you willing to take that path? Now, if I'm broaching that kind of stuff with my wife, with Kathy, Mm -hmm. you've had those conversations with Elizabeth, obviously. How would you coach me on having those kind of conversations with Kathy to say like, Hey, this is what I'm looking at. What do you think? And where do we go? We had the same exact conversation and it was, what do we want life to look like for us in 10 years? 
Now, I'm not talking work-wise because how can you predict what life's going to be? And like, I, you know, a, a big part of our income is masterminds, online communities. Those weren't even a real thing 10 years ago. There weren't very many people doing that. So who knows what 10 years is going to be like in terms of income, right? It, there's so many options out there. But what kind of life do you want? So when we said to ourselves, the life that we want is time freedom. We want to be able to raise our kids. Well, what does it take to do that? Does it require $500,000 a year? No. Well, our dream did not require $500,000 a year in income. So to be able to say, what would it require? Okay, so say the, say the number was 125 grand. 125 grand self-employed. Okay, now we have a solid thing to look at. Well, maybe I'm making 10 grand right now from the side thing. Maybe I'm making five grand from the very beginning. How do I optimize that? How do prices come up? How do more clients come in? How do we slowly build this up to where in three years we're making 125 or 150? And when, when we sat down and we dreamed about it, it was okay. Well, now I think whenever I have a path, of what the work that I need to do, right? Seven of these equals one client. Whatever it is, you just keep doing that. But I think when we get lost on, it's like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. And and the the thing that I'll tell people a lot of times, because people will say this to me, I don't know if I want to do that forever. And I smack that out of their head when they say that. Because I'm like, stop with that BS. Nobody's asking you to do this forever. You don't, you're not asked to drive across the bridge forever. You're asked to drive across the bridge for a period of time to get to the island. So I don't care if you want to do this forever, but can you do this for a period of time to get you from here to there, build up skills, learn stuff. So when you get there, you have learned all this other stuff. So people psych themselves out by saying, I don't want to shoot weddings forever. Nobody ever said to do that. Do that because for us, instead of working 440 days combined, for $62,000, $62,000, we work 20 days to get the 62,000. Now you double that, now you're at a hundred, just surprisingly $125,000, you double that. Now, when the money's not a problem, we can raise our prices. We could add other options. I still have Monday through Friday to do whatever I want. That's how, but, but, but when you're married, I think the dream has to come together. And understanding are we willing to do the sacrifice because if it was easy everybody would do it right there's sacrifice in the beginning but i can tell you firsthand it gets if you do it right it gets easier each year Mm -hmm. so what do you see that people that are coming into that kind of situation what do they need to kind of remove as their own hurdles you know it's like i've had lots of stuff along the way man we we could have like you know if we were skiing, I'm going off, you know, all the bumps and and everything along the way. Yep. The moguls. Um, but what's like a hurdle, like mentally or emotionally, that stops us from that growth and going after what we do want rather than just kind of sitting with where we're stuck, you know, that that self-imposed prison. Yeah, I think a lot of times it's imposter syndrome, not really thinking we we deserve it because we went through school for 12 or 16 years told kind of that we don't deserve it. Just follow the rules, get a good job, do what you're told. Don't question authority. Don't step out of line. Well, to do this, it requires you to step out of line. You have to, otherwise you're going to stay in the same spot in line. 
So luckily for me, I was defiant enough that I didn't accept that. I just didn't accept it. I didn't accept that what somebody else that doesn't know me is going to tell me is the truth based on their standards and their numbers, you know, whatever it is, standardized testing. I'm like, whoever wants to go by standardized testing, I want to be like everybody else. Like that to me, that was always insane, but my classmates went and studied for it. Like, I don't, that's not the world that I want to be a part of. So I think having a healthy defiance is important. If you want, especially in the entrepreneurial world, you can't just do what everybody else is doing. You have to be able to niche and innovate and pivot when something new comes up and, and learn from that. So I, and the other thing is, I think there's a fear of failure. I think there's constantly like, I'm not going to go out there because if I fail, people are going to see, I put it all out there and then it fails. And I got to explain to my mother-in-law why it failed. And I think to me, I kind of love the idea of failure. You know, there's days like within TLF, I go, I want everybody to fire me. I want everybody to cancel right now because I mean, I don't really believe that, but there's days because I'm like, if that happened, that would force me to get uncomfortable and do the next thing that I, that I dream about. Right. And I think to always have, not that I want it to happen, but to always have that healthy in your mind, like this could all go away tomorrow. And I love the challenge of having to figure it out again. I think as long as I always keep that, there's not a fear. So I think even in the very beginning to get through that, like this might fail. Who cares? It's something I want to do and it's cool. I'm going to, like I wrote in this book, I'm going to fail at something cool. And I think to be able to take that perspective, that's how I started my photography career. I was going nowhere and I, and I failed at a bunch of stuff that I didn't even want to do. The one thing I wanted to be, do is be a sports photographer. I'm like, I'm probably going to fail. I don't know anybody. I'm not any good. I've never even really taken pictures. But it sounds cool to try to be on the sidelines of football games. Probably going to fail. But at least this time, I'm going to fail at something cool. And that was a turning point for me. Because if you really, Mike, if you, the coaching business is where you want to go. If that's cool to you, who cares if you fail? At least you tried to do it as opposed to failing at a job you don't want. That's the worst part. How do you or even that? worse, succeeding at a job that you don't want. Yeah, right. Then you're you you've got multiple pairs of uh, golden handcuffs. It's yes, like, now Seth, your identity's wrapped up. Well, as Seth Godin would say, that it's a race to the bottom, and it's a race you don't want to win. Yeah, right. Does does um uh as far as like the fear of failure and that imposter syndrome? Yeah, how does that then impact like my marriage and my relationship with my children, or or does it? I think they're all teachable moments. Your kids are going to go through this as well. How do they see you? Like, I think about that, you know, from the Wealth of Connection, the story about Scott Bain and my auto mechanic and his example on the world. Like, he was an auto mechanic in Bethel Park, Pennsylvania, which, you know, nobody would ever say, oh, he's this magnificent, you know, entrepreneurial success. He had a good shop. That did, but his impact on people was so great that at his funeral, you know, the stories about him, you would have thought, you know, just a marvelous person that connected to everybody. Like what kind of impact do you want to have on your kids? What kind of influence do you want to show? What do you want people to say about you in front of your kids at your funeral? I think about that. Yeah. Is it, was oh, he just followed the status quo or he just did it for the money. That would really want, make me want to roll over my grave. If that's what it was. Was it 
you know, he helped us. He, he was impactful. He was passionate. He was involved. Like, what do you want? So you model that and failure doesn't really even matter. Cause what is failure? You know, talk, use a sports analogy. How often do you actually win the championship? You know, a player could play 17 years and win one. So they failed 16 times. They won one time, but that picture gets to hang in that arena for 40 years and you get your name etched on a Stanley Cup. What's failure? You're never going to win it if you don't if you don't fail getting there. It's like I think failure is so overblown in terms of our ego. We don't want to be perceived as a failure so we don't go all in, but if we really don't care and what's there to lose, I'm going to fail at something cool and you embrace that. For me it takes a lot of that away. And I think that fear of failure was honestly what held me back in my part of what held me back in my relationship with Kathy. Um, Mm. There were many other factors, but it was, if I serve her and I do this for her, is she going to value it? Which at that point was, is she then going to value me? But, Mm. you know, I was holding back. And so I never fully gave her the full, you know, the full me to love, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. So I, I think it does personally impact us when we, you know, let fear, you know, that fear of failure yep. kind of drive our decisions and our actions. Um, because what you're talking about, you know, as far as, Hey, if I failed at taking photography, well, that's another opportunity to pivot. So, yeah. okay. Maybe it's not, you know, the photography of sports, um, you know, maybe you move into weddings or it's still life. I mean, there's other opportunities that are available to you. And we just get so focused on this is the only bridge across rather than here's, here's multiple. multiple. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. No. And, and I think even with jobs, like that's your identity. It's the only, that's why, that's why jobs are so frightening to me. It's like, that's your only source of income. Mm -hmm. Right. And I remember when we were going to leave to go to the, we were quitting our job at the newspaper to go to work on our business. And I had a coworker come up to me and she was so afraid. She's like, aren't you afraid? Aren't you scared? I'm like, scared of what? And she's like, security. And I said, and I looked at her, I remember thought I had, we had 29 weddings booked at that time and a couple of corporate shoots. And so I said, we've got 29 weddings booked. If one or two people cancels, that's a fraction of our income. We could always replace them and actually replace them at a higher number because they probably booked us a year ago. If one person fires you, that's 100% of your income. Mm-hmm. I said, who should be worried about security? And I saw the look on her face, like her mouth dropped. She had never thought of that before. So when you can do this, and you can create multiple streams of income. You can try certain things. Maybe it was a failure, but it still brings in $12,000 a year, right? Maybe you do one thing, but it doesn't really, it's a certain amount of time still might pay your mortgage and it might be a multiple a piece of income. It doesn't have to come from all one, one source. You write a book, maybe it doesn't reach the status that you want, but, but you get a check for $500 a month that pays your grocery bills. When you can split that around and, and you get to say, I wrote a book or I did this, it leads to greater stories, which leads to greater conversations, which to me, that's what life's about. Well, and, and you pointed this out earlier in the fact that it's like you're not starting at square one again. 
even if you invested 12 months on that, you know, on a side business or, you know, pursuing a passion project, you've gained skills that you didn't have before. And so now you can bring those to bear as well as, you know, your mindset, because it's going to change in the fact that you're taking risks and and being persistent and patient, like you talked about. Yeah. it, It brings skills. It brings knowledge. It brings, um, connection, right? Relationships. You do that for 12 months. You know, Tim Ferriss has probably the most successful podcast in entrepreneur, entrepreneur world, right? It now makes, last I had taught, last I heard $43,000, $43,100 per 30 second ad. Wow. Comes into that pocket. Well, you know how it started? No. It started by, it started by him saying, this is a little experiment I'm doing. I think it was six episodes. I probably won't do more than six episodes, start a podcast. It's a little experiment. We'll see what happens. That turned into multiple ads on one episode that bring in almost $50,000 an ad, right? What if he said, oh, I might fail at this. He didn't go at it where this is the be all end all. I'm going to try something for six episodes or 12 episodes, see what happens. Well, it resonated. He kept working on it, made it better, blah, blah, blah. Now he had success behind him to, to propel it. But at the same time, that was a risk. He could have went out there and said, man, I got a couple of best-selling books. I can't afford to fail at a podcast because my ego will be bruised. He said, no, it's a noble experiment. And I love the idea of a noble experiment. Try it. See what happens. Yeah, that is amazing. So as you went from that that point of, hey, we've not set across the bridge, but oh my gosh, you know, Elizabeth's income, you know, now we're sharing one job and making 32000 a year. Mm-hmm. Yep. What were some of the tools, you know, that you used to get you both mentally and emotionally to, to be able to grow to where you're at now, you know, because it, it wasn't like you were like, you know, you, you've, you've got this amazing slew of stuff just laid out for you. And it's a yeah. silver lining. I mean, yeah. you said you had the year of work yeah. and it, I mean, that's literally what you did <laughs> Yeah. day and night and weekends. Yeah. So what, what kind of tools helped you to grow along the way to where you are now? I think it's observing the industry that you're in is, is one of the things like, and, and, and being a noticer as Andy Andrews would talk about and being able to pivot and do things that other people aren't either willing to do or don't think about doing. Every industry has a nook and a cranny that you can go into and you could be unique in every industry. Doesn't matter what it is. You look at Jesse Cole with Savannah Bananas with what he's doing in, in minor league baseball, right? He did that. At the same time, and he's doing that. What we saw was okay, we're going into the wedding industry. Um, we weren't thrilled about it. I didn't want to be a wedding photographer, but it was going to pay for my kids' food. So it was kind of important pay for diapers. Um, so we said, okay, we're not going to do what everybody else does. We're not going to do the cheesy portraits. We're journalists. So we sat down and we brainstormed that we said, Okay, so we're going to tell a story. And this is 2005. So this is common now in 2022. But in 2005, nobody did this. It was all this standard, you know, portrait, cheesy stuff that kept the journalist away. So we're going to take journalism into wedding photography. Um, So we even said storytellers. We didn't say photographers. We're Elizabeth and Vincent storytellers. So we said, okay. And, And that quickly resonated. We were in a small town in Indiana. And we shot a couple weddings. And... People are like, oh, this is different. So word starts, but that's when we really realized word of mouth. 
That's how all of our businesses run, word of mouth, referral. You do a good job for a small amount of people and hopefully they tell people about it. Well, one thing we learned, and this I think is what we, it could be a takeaway, is I observe and I study the other websites. And I noticed that almost every photographer got there as soon as the bride was getting the dress on, like the button-up picture of the dress, the tying it, and then they would leave four songs into the reception. Like once the lights go down, the dancing starts. And what they all said, and I started quite like, why do you guys leave them? Why is there? And they said, well, it's all the same. It's all the same. Once the dances start, it's dark. You know, the DJ lights, every picture looks the same. You get four, three, four songs, people dancing. And I said, well, that's a load of crap. That's not true. I'm a journalist and I know there's stories out there throughout the evening. So I said, okay, how do we differentiate ourselves? So we said, we're not leaving. We're staying until the lights come on. And this was, so Elizabeth, if she wanted to go home, but she usually did to get to, to, you know, relieve the babysitter, I committed to staying. What else am I doing on Sunday anyway? What am I doing Saturday night, watching Saturday night live? Like I'm married with kids. I'm not going out to clubs. So I'm like, why not stay an hour and a half later and tell a true story? So here's what we did. It was twofold. We shot till the end. And the first thing I noticed was the lights would come on in the venue and everybody was so wrapped up in the reception that they didn't realize that I was still there. And the mom would give me a hug and say, I can't believe you're still here. And then the sister would say, my photographer left right through the cake cutting. Literally, Mike, we were getting bookings on the dance floor 1130 at night because their bridesmaid would say, I need you for our wedding. Because my sister's photographer didn't really try. Boom. Mm-hmm. That, and then we pissed off the other photographers because here's what we did. <laughs> On our, to def, differentiate ourselves, this is where it can always go. Even in the very beginning, we put on the website called, it said the last hour. And so the text said, all photographers will tell you, you don't need these pictures. They'll say after, I use their own words against them. Mike. I, I was, I said, I said, they'll tell you that after three or four songs, it's all the same. So they don't need to be there. Literally the words that they used. And I said, but that's not true here. Are a, is a collection of portfolio of images from the last hour of the weddings that we shoot. And then they went through it and it's the dad in the chair being held over the, over the top. It's the last dance of the bride and groom in the center of the dance floor with their friends circled around them with our lights that looked so dramatic. And I'm shooting from above all these images that people go, this is what I miss out on when my photographer leaves. And I literally had photographers come up to me and said, because of you, we need to now shoot longer. Because people aren't accepting the fact that, oh, it's all the same. And that elevated us. And it also made other people now try to chase us where we were just beginners. Within two years, we were ones that are being followed and we weren't following. So that's just a handful of things we did to to innovate in the beginning. That's amazing. (laughs) And it's not surprising knowing you guys. (laughs) It's fun. I, I just, I'm like, hey. You know, what's the harm? An hour and a half extra of my time that they don't pay you. And then guess what happens? They give you a big tip. And then, I mean, quite literally, um, at one of the weddings we did that, uh, the, the, Nolan was, Dylan was just born. So he was, this is probably 2011. And Penny Sabosky, that's her name. She came up and she said, can I meet you? I want to meet Dylan. And we, we, so we go, we meet at a coffee shop and she's, and she said to me, she goes, how does it feel to make people happy for a living? Mm. I'd never thought about that. I don't think that way. I think about in terms of what I need, right? So no, you make us happy for what you do 
I mean, we just smile thinking about how much work you put in for us. And she handed me an envelope, put it in my pocket because I didn't want to be like, you know, looking at the looking at the envelope. I took Dylan out, got home, opened up the envelope. It's twelve hundred dollars. The wedding was like three thousand dollars. And I said, I can't accept this. I, I called her and she said, no, you don't understand. She goes, you know what it's like to make people feel good. You of all people should know that we want to do this to make you feel good. Mm. And I'm like, $1,200 tip for a $3,000 wedding. That's because we did those things we just talked about. And that's the that's the connection side of it. Well, and I was going to say, I think that goes right back to wealth of connection is, you know, this is the kind of stuff when you do make connections and not like selfishly, like what can I get out of you? But what what can I do serving alongside of you, like collaborating? Where can we where can we totally. go in life? And that's one of the C's you talk about um, totally. in here. And it just, I think we're sold into so many belief systems, you know, just like you talked about standardized and being secure with a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think it's, it's one of those of connections won't ever pan out the same way. People are trying to take advantage of me. And it's like, when you see people in a positive aspect then mm-hmm. you know i want to serve this person and this person is good yep it's not 100 percent going to work out because no you know that's that's not the the way things go but it's like more times than not it's going to be amazing and it's not going to bless them but it's going to bless us too totally not, and, and not just and financially either relationally but people will take advantage of you people yes. will be selfish towards you people will Take what you give, and then when they don't get what they want anymore, they will they will cut. That that happens all the time. I did a my email this week was called "Becoming Unoffendable." My goal is to become unoffendable, and it doesn't mean being taken advantage of. It doesn't mean being a pushover. It means I can choose to be offended or not. You can treat me poorly. I can choose to be offended. I can choose to get mad. I could choose to be spiteful, or I can choose to say, "Okay, that's what I've learned from this." I'll keep you at a further distance than I'll keep other people. I don't trust you, right? But it doesn't mean I have to get mad about it. And man, I've ruined more relationships by being offended than anything else. So you just learn these things along the way. And you understand, even when you're generous and you're helpful and you're willing, not everybody's going to appreciate it. You're going to reach out to people. They're not going to respond back to you. Three months later, they'll respond back to you just when they need something. It happens all the time. But when you learn how to navigate those situations... It, it gets easier. Like maybe you do help. Maybe you say, I can't right now, whatever it is, but you know what the boundaries are. And I think the more you can do that, you, you, because people be like, Oh, I reached out and people don't do anything. People don't, they don't respond. If you can get offended by that, if you want, but it's also going to stop you from continuing. I just don't want to get offended by it. And I think yeah. that's been a, probably my biggest growth in the last year. Well, in boundaries, you know, like the book uh, by Henry, oh, Cloud, that was game like, changer book. Game yes, that set me on a totally different path. Um, but it's it's one of those that I don't think being like you talked about being offended from something like that. I don't think that plays like alongside of being patient and you know persistent. Like I don't think they they go well together. So it's almost like yes, I need a boundary to keep myself healthy and go, mm-hmm. you're not healthy. Okay, great. Fantastic. But in order to succeed both in my personal and in my professional life, you know, looking at it and like you're talking about being unoffendable. 
Yeah. I think, man, that sets you up for a different path than most people are experiencing. Yeah. And I, and I think back to, you know, 17 years ago when that family member said they won't make it, I was offended, right? I was offended by it. I was also driven by it. And I look back and I'm like, knowing what I know now, not going to be offended by it, but still going to use that as motivation. Still going to not probably confide in them, right? On on yeah. what I need to do, or I'm not going to get their empathy or sympathy, but the the spite that comes from being offended, the snarky comments, the gossip, all that stuff that comes with it, there's nothing good about that. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing good about that. And I've partaken in that. I have. I've participated in that. I, and it's probably the worst moments, you know, for me. When mm-hmm. I think back on it, like, man, you know, I'll talk about immaturity. Like those are those of being offended led to my most immature moments mm-hmm. in business and outside of it. So what do you, am I looking to, is my goal to make another six figures or is it to change my character? And that's the next level of character that I'm focused on. And I'll tell you, I've seen it time and time again, last year where I'm like, man, that really would have offended me before and it's not and that means the shift is taking place the way i needed to that's just growth and that's another c in there uh yeah. it's like and that's one that's foundational i mean who are we and how do we appear in life um you and i can go on forever vincent because it's <laughs> like and i love just listening because it's like you share almost like andy andrews like there's a reason that i love andy mm-hmm. um is because it's put on a level where I can understand. It's not, you know, highfalutin, you know, yep. doctoral. Yeah. It's it's very much. I get it. Okay, yeah, I see it. And um, so I really love and appreciate the fact that it's like you bring things at a level and the truths that I need to change my life. So I appreciate it, my friend. Oh, thank you. Um, absolutely. Uh, how can people? reach out to you outside of the podcast here. Yeah. Um, the website's called totallifeream.com. Any information about what we do is on there. The book, um, the community, what we do, the podcast. Um, email is simple. Vincent at totallifeream.com. If anybody wants to reach out, connection is a big thing for me. So um, there on LinkedIn, on on Instagram, totallifefreedom1. Um, any, any way you can uh, find me, feel free to reach out. I appreciate it. Vincent, thank you so much, my friend, for coming and sharing. And and it's like, I really hope people pick up both copies of the book because it's like the freelance to freedom, man, you really laid out where you were in life, the struggle and and the year of work. You know, yeah. I mean, you guys were in the grind and it wasn't an easy thing to get to what you're experiencing now in life, you know, for you and your family. And then it's like in Wealth of Connection, it's like, how do you actually bring about you know the connections and who you become and everything like that i just so love they're 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 like great bookends on you know getting to a life that you love to live love it i appreciate it man you're awesome thank you my friend you got it thanks so much my friend for joining me on another episode if you found the information within the show helpful please leave a review on the platform you're listening to helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode and remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.